Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Reach out. It could be better than a fantasy. Everyone and welcome to a friends with fantasy benefits in season, off season that could still be in season podcast. I am Chuck Anderson. I can be reached at just chucking it. Uh, we have kind of a unique format for you today that I think you'll find interesting. There's so many fantasy leagues that are going to alternate universes right now. Everything from uh, Taiwanese leagues to uh, the upcoming Korean leagues to vintage leagues. And uh, one of our industry cohorts came up with a special idea for a mock draft, and we're sort of going to use that as a vaulting point. And eventually we're going to talk about some players, uh, a deep dive, if you will, that weren't drafted. And and if my good friend Andrew here thinks that they should have been drafted and if uh, they have value in these kind of leagues or not, uh, it'll be good for other people because it'll be people to keep on radar that maybe you weren't necessarily thinking of going in. Mr. Andrew Dewhurst, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm I'm getting by. It's been a lot of weeks now with uh, both my kids home every day and working full time. So um, some days are better than others, we'll say. And you can be reached at Andrew K. Dewhurst on the Twitter machine. Um, I, from afar, and just a momentary uh, veer off, from afar, it seems like the Blackhawks have been a pretty good team in recent years, so it's kind of surprising that they got rid of their GM, or no? Uh, they actually haven't been very good the last couple of years. Uh, aging team, so um, I don't. So it's, I mean, much like baseball, you see kind of varying degrees of where the power actually lives. So um, gotcha. I think in their case, uh, Stan Bowman, who is the son of the uh, legend Scotty Bowman, is the one who actually runs the team. So, um, so it doesn't it doesn't sound like you're surprised. No, not not hugely surprised. All right then. Well, uh, I don't know exactly how closely, or if just sort of uh, via our chat room, Andrew was following. Uh, this run TMC draft, as I like to call it, because that's where you can reach Tim McLeod on Twitter. Tim McLeod came up with this idea to help pass the time and give us some podcasting material that we would do a 30 roster spot, 15 team industry mock draft where all 30 spots needed to rep be represented by a draft pick from a different team. So all 30 teams must be represented. And this, of course, 
was sort of geeky enough and didn't cost anything uh, that uh, it filled up rather quickly. And of course, uh, some of my initial thoughts uh, definitely went to trying to figure out how we were going to get 15 Marlins drafted, how you're going to get 15 Orioles drafted. Uh, Andrew, what's what were your initial thoughts when you hear about this format? Um, it's interesting, right? It makes you think about players that you wouldn't have otherwise, like, or and strategically thinking about things differently, right? Like, it's easy to go, well, I want to take Acuna first, but at the same time, you kind of have to start weighing that against, like, well, but there's probably like 10 good Braves. So maybe I want to look at somebody, a team that has next to nothing really early. So I don't get stuck with like the 15th best player on, on a really, really bad team. Yeah, there was a, there was a definitely a team analysis factor that went on in this draft. Um, I am a huge proponent of Cody Ballinger uh, going fourth at the latest, and I had the fourth pick. So I took Cody Bellinger. Uh, I love the idea in a large draft like this, having outfield and first base covered with someone who offers me some speed as well. Uh, but I was sort of tempted to take Francisco Lindor. Um, and in all honesty, by the time I got done evaluating the teams, probably if I was going to do it from a team standpoint, I probably would have taken Mookie uh I probably would have not have taken Mookie Betts, but I would have taken Mookie Betts if he was still in a Red Sox, I guess is what I'm getting at, uh, because the Red Sox were a far more difficult team to draft at the end of the draft than you would than you would first think. Uh, but the draft really started out almost completely normal. There was no picks in my estimation that were artificially moved up all that much, except in the first round, uh, somebody took... Uh, and I can tell you exactly who it is here. Somebody decided to take Jacob DeGrom over Garrett Cole, which, of course, Garrett Cole being a Yankee doesn't seem like there's going to be much of a problem. It was actually Justin Mason who took uh, Jacob DeGrom. So, I mean, it's not unprecedented to see DeGrom go where he went, sort of in the middle of the first round. But at the same time, uh, sort of ahead of Garrett Cole is unusual. But you can see that there's the Mets don't have as much depth in payroll or in players as the Yankees do. So it was sort of the first indication that things were going to get a little crazy different as we moved along. The next pick that I thought was really artificially moved up is the second pick of the third round was Bo Bichette, which uh, your Blue Jays are kind of an interesting team to think about 15 picks deep because they certainly don't have that much pitching depth. Um, and uh, I took Glaber Torres two picks later, which anyone who listens to this podcast will be far from surprised that I did that. But I took Glaber Torres with the fourth pick in the third round, and Whit Merrifield went with the fifth pick. Um, are, are you of the same inkling that I am that perhaps, perhaps the Boba Shed pick is a guy who's just a Boba Shed fan, but Whit Merrifield? with the fifth pick in the third round is almost certainly one that was artificially uh, elevated because of the format. You agree with that, Andrew? Um, well, I'll start with the DeGrom pick actually in that I, like I would certainly not be against DeGrom going over Cole in a normal draft. So I don't know if that's necessarily inflated in any way. 
just because I think DeGrom offers you a lot more safety uh, with Cole moving into Yankee Stadium and like dealing with the AL East in a normal world, at least. Uh, I think there's actually a lot more risk there than people than you might think uh, where DeGrom is super safe, like and has been so unlucky that he's due to just positively regress or uh, in terms of things like wins. Uh, Bichette, I think you've seen some, some people are just really high on him. I, I, I mean, I guess it could be artificially inflated. Um, Cause I mean, I think if you're looking at the blue Jays, you're really only looking at, at best, probably in a normal draft, six or seven players, right? You're looking at, uh, Vlad, you're looking at Bichette, you're looking at um, Biggio, you're looking at uh, probably Ryu, you're going to look at Ken Jai, uh, and probably like maybe a Gurchuk, maybe a Teoscar Hernandez, which would probably be better, better values than using Bichette in the third. But uh, if you really love Bichette and you think that he's going to be 20, 20, 30, 20, with a good batting average this year, then uh, I guess you could certainly make that case. Um, Merrifield, on the other hand, is a more interesting case to me. Um, I, I think Kansas City off, like Kansas City's not good. You, I guess the idea is like, hey, let's try to get some steals here. But I feel like Merrifield fell off quite a bit last year, at least against expectations. So um I guess I would probably have rather rolled the dice on somebody like a Solaire or like maybe even trying to use my Kansas City pick on like a Ian Kennedy. Um, something that feels a little bit like safer for me because I just don't want to be like if regression continues on, on a player like Merrifield, you don't really want to be on the wrong side of it. No, it's true. I mean, you, you certainly still can't spell wit without hit. I mean, he can hit some. There's no doubts about that. The other thing, if you wanted to play devil's advocacy, you could say, you know, second base and outfield eligibility for at least this year yet is uh, is, is pretty nice. Uh, you know, the 348 OBP for Merrifield is so-so. Uh, his He did definitely he lost two and a half points off of his his walk percentage, which wasn't great. And he lost 25 steals. He went from 45 steals to 20 steals. So there's something to be said for that too. Although 20 steals is still sort of draft appropriate, as long as you get at least 15, uh, 15 home runs Uh, and sort of draft appropriate. When you think about, if you think the list of blue Jays is six or seven deep, the list of Royals (laughs) certainly isn't more than four, more than four or five deep. Um, so there's something to be said for that too. Um, but I was curious, uh, would you have taken Glaber Torres over Whit Merrifield? Do you prefer Glaber to, to Whit? In a, in a normal circumstance, absolutely. Like if all things are even and I don't have to have a player from every major league roster, um, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think the whole Kansas city thing with the guys at still bases is really just concerning to me this year. It's just oh, because yeah. with Mike Matheny. coming in and, yeah. Um, like if he goes, if he hits 16 home runs and steals 10 and hits 302, does anyone care? He's then just an empty average guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, like it's, you're not like the potential for that to be a bad pick is way higher. I mean, again, like you look at the, the only issue I think you look at with Torres is again, like, 
I have no issue with the talent. Uh, I have no issue with getting second base filled early, um, especially with that kind of that kind of player. It's just like, well, what kind of the value Yankee is way better than the value Royal, right? Oh, oh yes. I mean, you know, at the end of the draft, there was still there was still good Yankees to be taken, and the the most ridiculous depth team, um, in my observation, um, and I floated this out in the chat room in the draft, is the Dodgers are just ridiculous. Like yeah. you can, I mean, you could have we could have drafted another seven Dodgers at the end of the draft, and we drafted fifteen. Like, you know, because when you add in the Gavin Luxes and you add in, the you know, the, the right side and the wrong sides of the platoons and then you know how they use their starters. And so you've got, you know, yeah, extra potential value with Alex Wood and Julio Urias. And I mean, you know, you know, Tony Gonsolin. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. Yeah. So, I mean, they certainly come out looking like the most ridiculous team. But at the same time, it's rightful to be said that the the Yankees um, are definitely – for me to take a Yankee and a Dodger with two of my first three picks um, is definitely something that I wouldn't choreograph again. We did not KDS for, for draft slot. I probably wouldn't have put myself at four to put myself in the bind uh, because in an industry league, I still feel like I still need to make a statement, and I strongly believe that Cody Bellinger should be considered – Really for the third pick, but definitely should never fall past four. So that sort of played uh, that sort of played there. I want to mention some uh, a couple other teams that I really found interesting uh, that maybe you don't think of at first. Uh, the Colorado Rockies. Uh, maybe you did think of them at first, but the Colorado Rockies. If you have to take fifteen Rockies, uh, the issue, of course, is how many of the pitchers do you really want to have on your team. Uh, you have kind of sort of an advantage in so much as their closing, you know, their closer is, has been reannounced as Wade Davis uh, while we did have spring training. And so, and of course they have Scott Oberg as, you know, a capable uh, stand in. So that helps a little. And talking about Scott Oberg and talking about how thin the Rockies are, um, We'll get back to teams here in a second, but I just want to mention one thing that definitely occurred to me as a strategy for this draft is I decided that I was going to fill I was going to fill my catchers and my closers from weaker teams, and the reason that I did that is I believed that first of all, from a weaker a weaker team catcher probably doesn't have a backup that's going to get drafted by anybody. You know, you don't have to worry about the platoon catching thing that has happened in, you know, Atlanta and Washington in recent years. And if you lost somebody in the middle of the season, what would you do to get somebody from that team on your roster? But um, also, I just thought it was the lowest replacement cost. You know, like, uh, obviously, you know, I took Jorge Alfaro as my as my Marlin because I thought to myself, well, he wasn't dreadful last year per se. He's got some upside. And of course, compared to league average at that position, you know, that's really there's really something to be said for that. I also took the gamble on Buster Posey as my giant. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, he's slated to hit second in that lineup, uh, which the lineup is horrid, uh, maybe as bad as any, maybe the worst, actually, the worst actual lineup 
in Major League Baseball. Their starters are better than their than their lineup. But at the same time, you know, last year, a bad year, he still hit almost 260. And again, replacement cost. And then I very purposefully took Ian Kennedy as one of my two closers. Um, and then I was just surprised and I got into an industry thing and I took Taylor Rogers as another one of my uh, as my other closer, which the the twins are not uh, per se a shallow team within this discussion. Uh, but at the point in the draft where I took him in the ninth round, um, I was a little surprised he was still there. So I didn't mind taking him there. But I'm curious, do you, can you see that strategy point of like picking some spots and saying, OK, if I'm going to go with the thin teams, I should try and draft players on thin teams at this at such and such a position. Can you see that, uh, uh, Andrew? Yeah, I, I can see it to some extent. I mean. I guess I would look at it maybe a little differently, though. Like, um, catcher, because catcher is such a bad position, and is this one catcher or two catchers? Two catchers. Yeah, because catcher's already such a thin position, I don't know how much I would want to deal with an even, like, thinner slice of it. So, like, I think in this league I would maintain the ideal that even that e- possibly even more so that there's value to be gained in getting top end catchers because of just the massive separation values so uh meaning like the difference between uh real mudo and alfaro is massive right you're talking like 50 50 points of average you're talking like up to probably like 10 to 12 homers. You're talking about 30 runs, 30 RBIs, right? That's pretty significant. Uh, So like when you thin things down even further, I think that offers you potentially more of a gain because in a normal 15 team league, you probably don't see Buster Posey drafted. You might not see uh, things go like that. Whereas like if you had to deal with like, Hey, I have to have a, a giant like, well, what if I ended up with Gosman? Or what if I just had like a super low impact player uh, who didn't kill me, didn't necessarily help me, and just grabbed like a guy like uh, Reyes Moranta? I'm not sure if he's even going to play this year. He might have, I don't remember what his injury was, but trying to get a reliever, even if it's a middle reliever who just eats, eats some innings for you and gets you some strikeouts, right? Um, so I think that would probably have been the approach I would have taken is to okay, if I have to deal with the bad teams and I have to get one of these players that's bad, let's try to get the best worst player. Um, You know, and that's funny that you mentioned that because, like, I did that with some other teams. Like, I probably artificially escalated Joe Musgrove, who's a guy who we really like the peripherals of and showed some signs last year, but he's a pirate, Yeah. you know? And so, like... In a way, you can hide pitching easier than you can hide. Like, my catchers actually have to play. You know what I mean? And my closers actually have to be in my lineup. Um, So, you know, I did mix in some of of what you speak of uh, of there as well. So I definitely uh, can see where you're coming from on a... Um, on a number of uh, on a number of these different fronts, I just thought it was interesting. I don't think, in general, the the fantasy baseball world is quite as you know as 
quite as out there as they should be in so much as adding different kinds of leagues and different styles of leagues. Considering, you know, our cohorts at FWFB and people in the industry, they're playing 12, 14, 16, you know, different styles of leagues. But those styles of leagues are basically best ball, points, <laughs> head-to-head, yeah. roto. I mean, there's well, not a, there's not a wild... I, you know, array of different kinds of leagues that people actually play. I, I agree. And in some ways, I think we see that being further depressed. Like, I think what we see a lot of is a lot of people wanting and fairly fair enough. Right. Like if I'm when you see people playing 10 to 20 to what there's what we probably got at least two people at FWFB are playing in 30 leagues. Right. And it's like, well, the only way you can keep your head straight on the values of players in 30 leagues is they all need to be exactly the same, right? Like you have to be playing in 12 team leagues or 15 team leagues. And the format has to be the same. And I think we see a lot more of that as more people do more NFBC leagues. Um, But at the same time, like I think of that as like, those are investments. Like those people are making big invest or making investments in their ability to be, you know, in the top 30 percentile of of NS- NFBC leagues. Whereas I think there's a to the casual person, and maybe in in some cases I'll use the term the casual fantasy analyst because I think that's a real thing as well, um, as there is such a wide uh, swath of of players out there is that i think there is uh i think a lot of people can have a lot of fun thinking about things differently and i think that is really good for 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 fantasy to to take the opportunity and look at hey like i have to dig into all of these rosters because typically we don't right we look at like the top 400 players ish you kind of like skim through and you look at things you don't have to worry about it too much because you wouldn't necessarily think of like well what's going to be the 15th best player on on the tigers and the marlins and um and i mean by the same rights like even teams that aren't bad like the phillies and uh you know those middle of the road teams who might be good might be bad it's just a different exercise and um it's certainly one I would encourage people to do. Like, I think that's a lot of value that uh, I personally get when I have to, when I do our draft guide is writing up those teams. You have to literally look at every player at every position and try to think of something intelligent to say about them. I thought two other teams that would be interesting to touch on here quick. Uh, how do you think, what do you think it was like? It felt like to draft 15 of, or in this format to draft angels. Like, if you got out of the first couple rounds without an Angel, I mean, do you, do you like a lot of the, the depth pieces on the Angels? And do you think uh, uh, you think they would, would be a challenging team to draft? Off I, I of? think so. Yeah, I mean, because, like, off the top of your head, right? Like, it's like you got Trout, you got Otani, you've got Rendon, you've got uh, Hansel Robles. <laughs> uh <laughs> Like, it gets are, you an Andrew, are you an Andrew Heaney guy? Uh, yeah, like it gets thin fast, and that's, <laughs> um, and, and I think that's big play. Uh, like that's a big part of it, and that's something in a league like this that you would have to account for. Like, are you gonna get David Fletcher? Okay, you want you 
Tommy Listella, all right. Uh, like you start moving down down that line, right? And it's like, well, what am I like? What am I gonna get, right? If I if I gotta get if I get the tenth through fifteenth angel, who am I getting? Um, and who should I get? It being the ultimate question here. And I think that's a, a fun conversation. Well, just for within the context of it, I was surprised. Um, I got Tommy Listella in the nineteenth round as my angel. And I guess, you know, in a league like this, one thing I found out is you end up shooting the moon. (laughs) Yeah. It's very tempting to shoot the moon. I mean, I ended up with, you know, Sam Hilliard and I ended up with like, uh, you know, Quang Hyung Kim, uh, you know, guys that I think have real serious ceiling and real serious floor. Kyle Tucker, Satsugo. I mean, I ended up with some you know, Adrian Hauser. I mean, I ended up with some serious ceiling and some real serious floor <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it just seems like the kind of format where it can either go really good or it, it can go really bad. Um, so I think you're right about the Angels. I mean, the Angels turned out to be far more challenging than I initially assumed they would be uh, because we think of them as sort of a star-studded team, and they are. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of roster depth. I mean, Angleton Simmons doesn't excite anybody. Their catching doesn't excite anybody. Their number two through five starters generally don't excite anybody. So uh, that that proved to be a, a fairly challenging team. Now, I, I'm curious as to how challenging, uh, we know that this is a challenging team, but one of the teams that became obviously a flashpoint for people in this draft was the Detroit Tigers. What do you? What are your initial thoughts about drafting 15 Tigers? Uh, as a Tigers fan, I think it's scary. Um, I mean, I think you'd have like I feel like in a fantasy lens, people are probably looking at it going like, okay, so if I have to fill in the order here, uh, we're probably gonna go with Matt Boyd first, uh, and then I don't know, like who's the next best guy? Is it is it Jimenez? Or is it like Nico Goodrum? Uh, like, I, I I think I mean there's some sneaky guys on the Tigers that I think are fantasy relevant. I think guys like uh, Victor Reyes hold way more fantasy value than some people realize because he's a guy that could hit almost 300 and could steal 25 or 30 bases, um, which in a normal fantasy lens is really valuable and you can get him for free. Um, I think you could take you could roll the dice a little bit on a guy like Christian Stewart. I think for the sake of like, if you really wanted to punt this and just said, I have to have a guy on the roster, you could certainly roll the dice on Matt Manning or Casey Mize. Cause they should, well, in a normal circumstance, you'd think they could be up this year. And that might be the safest thing is like, well, I'd rather take a zero than take a minus five. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I like, uh, I, I am somewhat a proponent of like Miggy still has something left. He still hits the ball hard. Uh, I think if he added a few degrees to his swing, he could hit, you know, he could give you enough home runs to be valuable and still have a pretty nice year. Uh, I don't think he can really move, but the bat's still pretty good. So yeah, like getting deep in the Tigers is, it's a wasteland. And I mean, I've been writing that system up for years in the draft guide and it is not going, getting down to the 15th guy is 
Like their their bullpen's bad. Like there's not even like a there's not there's even no, a port. There's no port no. For, there in that storm. No. But uh, the last Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tiger. Just out of curiosity, I looked. The last Tiger taken was Jake Rogers, who's sort of their upside upside power catcher, right? But he's certainly not guaranteed the gig either. <laughs> no, he's not getting the gig. They just brought somebody in. Like, you can deal with CJ Crone. You can deal with... Um, Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope. Yeah, like, those are, are not terrible picks. And, like, there's you kind of know what you're getting. Like, getting Jake Rogers for... Oh, jeez. Like what could be like 15 games. I mean, I guess second catchers get pushed up if they decide to try to play like all these double headers that they're talking about this year and stuff like that. But like, um, yeah, that could be like a, that could be like a 150 hitter with no power. Well, maybe you, you might think this is too early, but also just to put it in context, I took Victor Reyes in the 23rd round. Uh, as my tiger, which I thought was I pretty, yeah, I think that's 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 pretty decent value in sort of uh, w- within this context. As long as it seems kind of fun to do this, so let's uh, let's do one more team. What do you think about the Arizona Diamondbacks? Um, I found them to be kind of a curious team because a lot of their big time players we don't really know how to value. I mean, I, I don't know how to value Madison Bumgarner this year, really. I mean, you know, he hasn't had that much time back from the injury. He certainly showed signs of maybe being able to get back to himself, but wasn't himself. But they signed him to a big deal, and he's moving. Um, you know, their uh, Cattell Marte is a very curious player. Uh, you know, then they have their third baseman who, you know, used to be eligible at shortstop isn't anymore. I mean, I don't know how to value a lot of their players to begin with. And then the depth is kind of interesting. I think one of the players who showed more chinks in his armor than we think of him for is Archie Bradley, who's their closer. Uh, so, you know, and you don't Robbie Ray is a guy like you sort of have to make up for drafting him by drafting guys that are, are, you know, a lot safer in whip in other areas. What are your, what are your initial thoughts about 15 deep worth of Arizona diamondbacks? I don't think Arizona is that bad. Like, I think it's, that's a team that I could more easily deal with. Cause I mean, yet Starling Marte, you got Kettle Marte, you got Eduardo Escobar, David Peralta, Christian Walker, Carson Kelly, right? That's three, five, six players, six of the starting eight. Um, you move into the rotation 
Bumgarner's fan, at least going to be fantasy relevant. You can draft Robbie Ray. You can draft like Luke Weaver is was good last year before getting hurt. Uh, everyone loves Zach Callen. Uh, Archie Bradley is the closer. Uh, there is some. I mean, you've heard some rumblings of I think Kevin Ginkle being uh, kind of next in line there. Um, but I mean, I, I think really quickly that was like six. Uh, four. That's ten. You're at kind of like twelve, thirteen guys there. That's not a bad situation to be in if like you're getting the thirteenth, the fifteenth worst D back, which is certainly not something you would have said probably a year or two ago. Um, I mean, I think I, you get a, Cole Cal Cole Calhoun too, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I like I saw Cole Calhoun there and thought I don't know how interesting Cole Calhoun really is at this point I mean Nick Ahmed even had a decent year last year um and you look at guys like Dalton Varsho who could be up this year you could take that probably as your 15th guy um it's so tough like the with teams like this who look like okay maybe you, you could make a case for up to if you're looking at minors, right, which you could maybe case for up to like 16, 17 guys if you had to roster somebody. Um, but when we don't know, the the most difficult part of this is obviously that we don't know the actual like playing scenarios. Uh, we're seeing a lot of different things floated about and uh, some of it might be real. None of it might be real. We have no idea. So like... Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, a team like Arizona I would be okay waiting on uh, because I think it's a lot of boomer bust, right? Like, could Ketel Marte be a bust this year? Yep. Could Escobar be a bust this year? Yep. Could Marte be a bust this year? Yep. Could, like, <laughs> Christian Walker? Yeah, like, almost everyone in their starting lineup, you could make yeah. a case for not being as good as they were last year. Yeah. Um, and the I same with their staff as well. I was definitely hinting at sort of some some trust issues that I have, but you're right to point out the fact that the organizational depth, you know, within the last two or three years, those 15 players that you've mentioned have all had uh, above average, you know, very, very serviceable seasons. So there's there's something to be said for the fact that it's probably not one of the trickiest organizations, but it's one of those that you can easily lose grasp of in like if you just want to take players you like more, all of a sudden you get down to where you have to make a decision. I took Kevin Ginkle in round 26, uh, sort of thinking in most formats and most styles. I mean, if you get a really good middle reliever, at least he's somebody who's not killing your roster. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I made some uh, I, I made sort of a reach there, but I think your I think your thoughts on the Diamondbacks are are, are definitely spot on, and I think your thoughts on like. It was tricky to sort of figure out how were we drafting for as if this was a mock draft for next year. We're drafting as if this was a mock draft for this year. Uh, You know, there was, you know, and and next year's young players could be handled completely differently. One more little thought of interest here. I want to push us along here. The uh, one of the last players taken, and this is kind of cruel and this is, sort of format dependent, I guess, that would this would even happen. But I'm not really used to people drafting players that I've never heard of before. So I'm just curious if you know who this guy is. Do you know who Dean Kramer is? Dean Kramer? I do not. Not off the top K-R- of my head, at least. I, I might be saying it wrong, too. K-R-E-M-E-R. Yeah, it sounds like Kramer uh, to me. 
Yeah, well, that's the uh, that's the that's the fifteenth Baltimore Oriole off the board. <laughs> like I said, it's really it's really unfair to do that to you because I. I mean, outside of Dean Kramer's family, considering that we're talking about the Orioles, there could be a ton of people who who uh, do not know who Dean Kramer is, to say the least. Um, there could be some prospect guys who don't know who Dean Kramer is, too, for for that matter, because, you know, guys like uh, Mount Castle and stuff like that went fairly early. I actually, and I just, this isn't a current events thing, but I actually took a fairly early dive and hope because I couldn't find any information and I just want to sort of pass on, uh, you know, my sympathies for what's going on with him. I took a fairly early uh, stake of, of Trey Mancini in this draft, sort of thinking that by next year he would probably be able to play. And now, of course, uh, I don't know if you heard Andrew, but um, it was announced that he has stage three colon cancer now. So my thoughts and sympathies go out to him and his family and the Orioles family. Um, and who cares about the fact that I uh, that I took a, a pick on him? It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I have him in a, a couple of my NFBC leagues that were drafted well before we found out that he had the initial diagnosis. Um, so I, I took the shot there, which doesn't matter to me in the slightest. I'm uh, just wishing him uh, wishing him health. Um, on, on a different note, I I took notice of some players that were some deep dive players that didn't get drafted in the top 450 and some of this is sort of league context oriented um you know because of the style of league you you get sort of some players that would uh be drafted otherwise that are not drafted and i send out the list to andrew and i'm curious if andrew uh if if andrew really took note or sort of how he ranked sort of the players that i noted as undrafted Jordan Lyles went undrafted uh, with him being a Ranger this year. That might be part of the reason, but it also made it surprising to me that he didn't get drafted uh, because the Rangers are, uh, you know, are, a little, are deeper than they've been in recent years, but not one of the deepest teams either that, that comes to mind. Uh, a guy that might be off the radar for a lot of people is Roman Wick, who is uh, a relief piece for the Cubs. Uh, who I find to be sort of a more interesting bullpen than maybe most everyone else does. Anibal Sanchez, by far the oldest player that I put on the undrafted list because he's 36 years old. But Anibal Sanchez surprised me that uh, that he wasn't drafted in this format, 15 Nationals, uh, and no Anibal Sanchez. Alex Wood. Now, Alex Wood is a Dodger this year. Uh, He's got one bad year of when he's actually been on the mound. He's got one bad year in the books, and that happens to be last year. Uh, Of course, that was also in Cincinnati. So uh, I'll be curious to see uh, how much people value him this year going to uh, going to be a Dodger uh, where they they seem to use a lot of starters and uh, seems to be a pretty relaxing and good situation to pitch in. Cesar Hernandez, 29 year old second baseman for the Indians. Uh, was also a guy I really noted that uh, I, I was stunned that he wasn't one of the 15 Indians that was selected. And sort of uh, one of these deep cult-style sleepers I threw in at the end, and his name is Mike Ford, who's a first baseman for the Dodgers, and he's a guy that uh, a guy who's actually been profiled like on MLBTradeRumors.com as sort of a, a, a sneaky-style person to follow how he is going forward. So did any of those names really jump off at you as somebody that you were surprised uh, was not drafted in this 450 uh, player draft? I mean, Cesar Hernandez really is the most surprising one to me. Um, I mean, 
he's, I mean, I don't think Cleveland is especially deep, and that's really part of it for me is like, okay, you know, you've got Lindor, Mercado, Santana, Ramirez, Fran Mil Reyes, Domingo, Santana. Uh, like, I guess if I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, would I rather have Cesar Hernandez or Delino de Shields Jr.? I'd probably take Cesar Hernandez. Uh, would I rather have him or like Carrasco? I would still maybe take Hernandez because of Carrasco's injury risk. Uh, like Adam Plutko is not very good. Uh, the bullpen's not especially sexy in any which way. So like, it is pretty surprising to me that he would go undrafted. Like, I mean, I don't really want anything to do with Roberto Perez. I don't really want anything to do with Greg Allen. I don't want, like, their bench is awful. Uh, their bullpen is, is, as I just noted, pretty bad. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I just, like, who would have been the fifth? Like, when I look at, like, 10 through 15, I, I would probably look at and go, oh, okay. That's not a player I would have looked at. Um, like, I don't know if people went to, like, Bobby Bradley or Yu Chang, like going like that far down the road. Guys like Jake Bowers, who uh, Bradley Zimmer, Daniel Johnson, like those types of guys who haven't really proven anything in the majors yet. Uh, that part of yeah, it's definitely uncertain to me. So uh, no, I, I see it. And, is, and adding to your and I, I looked these up on purpose. Uh, the ADP for Cesar Hernandez overall is 277. So for him not to go in 450 picks, uh, you know, seems pretty amazing to me. Um, Emmanuel Classe did go in this draft, and he, I think he could be one of the big winners, um, conceivably, of the uh, of the pushback season start. Uh, I mean, we don't obviously we don't know no yet, but uh, there's been really good reports on on his health, and they're sort of heavily invested now that they traded Kluber for him. Uh, but there really uh, there really isn't. Uh, there isn't a valid excuse or logical line to think that 15 Indians went and one of them wasn't Cesar Hernandez. So I, I certainly see that. Of the rest of the players that were that I listed to you, who do you think uh, who do you think would have the next highest ADP overall? That would be Mike Ford, um, Anibal Sanchez, Roman Wick, Alex Wood, I, uh, Jordan Mike, Lyles. Yeah, it'd be Jordan Lyles. I mean, I don't think like I think the ADP on a guy like Roman, like Roman wick is null. <laughs> I think the ADP on a guy like Mike Ford is probably null. Um, so like I, I would, there's would be so far down the, down the list that it would, it's almost non-existent. Uh, and I think Sanchez, I mean, I guess they're all like the, those three players all kind of like, I get Alex would not going because of the depth of the Dodgers that you can, actually find 15 better options um i don't necessarily see it with the rangers and the nationals though like i'm managing the rangers in a in like a simulation right now and that team is okay but not great um i mean he's their fifth starter uh and if my memory serves me he had a pretty good year last year um and the rangers new park will be better to hit in than the old park was for sure so like i wouldn't like i would have probably not been against him as like my 15th player i mean i think the rangers are very boomer bust um 
and by very, I mean it, like you could much like I noted with the Diamondbacks, like you can see the downside in literally every player in their starting lineup and <laughs> in their uh, in their starting rotation and in their bullpen, right? Like Jose Leclerc was really bad last year. Corey Kluber's coming off an injury and is 34. Mike Miner kind of appeared out of nowhere, as did Lance Lynn, both had resurgent years. Kyle Gibson was bad last year. And, uh, you know, so on and so forth, right? Like, Shin Su Chu feels like the safest player on the Rangers, but he's 38. Um, like, Joey Gallo could hit 200. Like, Willie Calhoun has not been fantastic in the majors. Todd Frazier is still Todd Frazier. We don't, like, we're not sure what to make of Danny Santana. Like, yeah, like, it's, that's, that's kind of where the Rangers are. So, again, like, looking at 15 deep and Lyles not being one of those guys is a little surprising. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that one's, that, so, that, I mean, that's my thought there, at least. Um, well, I can sort of go. I can sort of go over these ADPs quick, and then I want to run through why I thought these guys were notable um, undrafted players. Um, Alex Wood is actually the next highest at 343, which I, I think people remember how good Alex Wood was before he got to Cincinnati and before he was hurt. Uh, but he's not. I think there's a nebulous cloud here of starting pitching that you know from around pick 350 all the way to like pick 550 really are relatively interchangeable sort of, you know, high upside versus, uh, you know, high floor guys. Anibal Sanchez is at 401 and much surprising to me uh, for his ADP is that Jordan Lyles is at ADP of 476. I already own some pieces of Jordan Lyles this year and I know why. The reason why is because I got to see him down the stretch with the Brewers last year when he was relatively amazing. Okay. He had over a K per nine last year. He had three months, three full months, not like partials where he was pitching out of the bullpen or something. He had three full months last year where his ERA was under 2.63. So when he was good last year, he was ridiculously good, but his numbers ended up looking pretty average because he had two really bad months in the middle. Like a 6.3 and an 11 ERA month in like June and July. So, uh, you know, that's a lot of what happened with Jordan Lyles. But from my perspective, it's hard for me to fathom him not being one of the 15 uh, Rangers that were selected just because of how dominant he looked uh, when he was pitching well. And I was stunned to see his ADP at 476. I think he's a relative bargain there in a deep format where you don't have to be using him. When he's going well, you can use him. When he's not going well, you don't have to. Um, like I said, I, I want to go through uh, these guys, and you were dead nuts on on the ADPs of uh, Roman Wick and Mike Ford. Roman Wick's ADP is actually 642, which surprises me uh, that it's that far down. And again, I saw him last year during the pennant race against the Brewers pick up a couple of saves. Like, uh, granted, Pedro Strope was hurt and they were, and struggling. Uh, Kimbrell was struggling. But at the same time, when they needed somebody organizationally, they went to Roman Wick. And Roman Wick had, you know, nine and a half Ks per nine, a 2.43 ERA, a 2.82 FIP last year. He's 27 years old. 
Um, I don't know that I trust Kimbrell when he's coming off a long break. The last time he came off a long break, he really struggled. I just think to myself, what has to happen to make Roman Wick closer there? Probably not as much as you'd think with the way that the Cubs have approached things and, you know, are, are being pretty much cheapskates with their money right now. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Anibal Sanchez is a guy whose peripherals are going the wrong way, but he left a really good taste in everyone's mouth with how well he pitched in the playoffs last year. Uh, I was stunned to see exactly, you know, his FIP and his ex-FIP. Uh, you know, the, the metrics did not like Anibal Sanchez last year at all, and he's 36 years old. So uh, I can see that's the one that I – I initially looked at, and then when I looked back at it, I thought, oh, well, that kind of makes sense that he wasn't taken. Um, Alex Wood has never had an ERA, a FIP, or an XFIP above four before last year, which I, I think would kind of surprise people because he's battled through so many injuries. But whenever he's pitched, he's pitched really well. And Cesar Hernandez is a guy that when I looked at it, I was not quite as stunned uh, he has a reputation of being a, a really good and a really steady player, but he did drop 10 stolen bases last year and he dropped 7% off of his bases on base on ball percentage. He's 29 years old. He'll be 30 this year. Um, I don't, I, I, it was a justifiable pick. I, I don't disagree with Andrew's analysis that he's probably should be one of the 15 uh, Indians selected. He, he's slated to lead off. There's reports that he's going to lead off in Cleveland. Then sort of one of the more interesting guys to me here is Mike Ford. He had 35 home runs total last year, 12 in major leagues uh, with 50 games that were in. He had a 350 OBP with a 243 BABIP. And uh, maybe, you know, some of these uh, articles, sort of these cult sleeper, deep sleeper articles got in my head. But I think Mike Ford might be a little more interesting than most people think. And uh, certainly a guy that I would watch out for as uh, the season rolls on. But the one thing uh, that you, the big caveat with Mike Ford is he's a Yankee. And, you know, how likely, how likely are borderline fringe types to get good looks as a Yankee? I mean, you have Giovanni Urshela moving over to third and you have their former third baseman up in the air. So where he's going to get all, all of his playing time and, you know, and we still have holdovers from years prior at first base for them as well. So, uh, you know, I, I can kind of see the skepticism. But if you want to look at somebody whose numbers really deep in deep, deep drafts, whose numbers really translate beautifully, uh, Mike Ford is a guy, you know, well over a 10% walk rate almost every single year in the minors. Uh, showed really good pop last year. Uh, got unlucky and was still a very good player when he played last year. So uh, you might have to look into splits and stuff like that and see exactly uh, how protected he would have to be to be valuable. But as a as a mere end game play, I think maybe there's some more value there than people think. So uh, anyway, Andrew, I really appreciate you doing this on the fly. It's been uh, rough. Most of my podcasting equipment has been needed and been at my workplace uh, with the change in atmosphere here going on with the COVID-19 stuff. So that's a lot of what's happened with, uh, with the long layoff that you guys had with us. Uh, so I'm glad that we could get uh, something out there for you guys. And this is kind of an interesting topic and something that maybe, uh, maybe you guys can think of in the future. You get a chance to develop sort of an alternative style league instead of maybe going bozo ball or reverse stats or something crazy like that, you know, make somebody roster somebody from every single team for the entire season and see exactly, 
you know, how well people can navigate this kind of a minefield with an extra strategy twist. Uh, what other stuff are you working on here, Andrew? And uh, we can uh, we can get out of here after you uh, line us up with everything that's going on. And why don't you tell us about your Potapalooza experience as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so I am still doing some hockey stuff at Fantasy Alarm. Uh, I'm in the middle of a 50... Uh, a dynasty like a 50 like rosters of 50 for dynasty hockey right now uh so i am writing up a full guide on on how you would go on trying to offer some advice to other people on on how you can go how you'd go about making that draft and things to think about um potapalooza was was fun um i mean <laughs> uh as if as anyone who listened and caught my segment i had um uh, I had Joe Pizzapia, Jason Collette, and uh, oh, Sammy, Sammy Reed. Um, so, uh, group of group of fun guys. Uh, my, my kids, whenever they see that I am talking to somebody now, they are always like right around. Like, can I get on the camera? I want to be on the camera. So they made an appearance and like every time I went to unmute my mic, you could hear like my kids starting to fight as it was like noon. So they're getting hungry. And uh, so all in all, it was good. I mean, happy to be a part of it. Uh, $6,150 is fantastic uh, for Meals on Wheels. So um, glad to see all that effort going to a really good cause. Yeah, it was it was pretty neat uh, concept in general. Um, I had Andy Singleton on with me, and I also had uh, I had the injury guru guy that was on with me. That was uh, Reuven, I believe his last Reuven name is. Guy. And he, yeah, yeah, and he was uh, he was he was excellent as well. And uh, my old friend Scott Barzilla, who uh, who has written uh, two excellent books on Hall of Hall of Fame candidacy. Uh, it was great to be part of it, to say the least, uh, and. It was it was worth every every second that we put into it to get some money for a really great cause to giving people who are desperately in need of of food uh, some meals right now. Uh, fortunately for me, I am not in that boat, uh, but we're working towards it and hoping to avoid it here going forward. As uh, hopefully we can move on to easier restrictions here going forward. Uh, my good friend Andrew. K. Dewhurst, that's how you can reach him on Twitter, at Andrew K. Dewhurst, came on to talk about the Run TMC alternative draft that was put together by Tim McLeod, who's a great follow on Twitter as well. He's at Run TMC. And so uh, we wanted to throw some alternative stuff out here for you today, and we did. Um, I'll try and get back to you here at least once every two, three weeks. Uh, maybe we'll have an official date, and then we can really kick stuff off in a, a sort of a permanent manner here for, to giving you some good podcast materials going forward. Thanks everyone for the listen, support FWFB, give us a positive review. Uh, we are constantly trying to get as much stuff out there for you as we possibly can. And uh, we're sort of uh, turned into venerable elder statesmen of the podcast world now with uh, how crazy the podcasting uh, stuff has blown up. But we are steady here for you and giving you a good option and trying to cover some stuff you don't always hear everywhere else. Thank you for your time. This has been an FWFB in-season, off-season podcast, and we are signing off. When I think of you, I think of us, I think I'm done with this. October comes and I'll show you what I'm made of. I hope it's harvest time.
are fruits of labor. Reach out. 